welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. Now, uh, I just want to say thank you once again to Ruth and uh, Eleanor for putting together this fantastic series we've been, uh, the booklet. Uh, yes, give them a clap. Although both, I think, have gone out with the kids. So they, uh, if you don't already have one, you know there's a workbook. Um, we were asking people to pay $10. I don't know if anyone did that, but you could steal some. God will forgive you, especially since what you heard over the communion word. Uh, so uh, there's still some up there. If you didn't get one, you can always do it as a Bible study yourself uh, through the book of the letter of Philippians. And we've been doing that on Sundays as well. So this week will be the last Sunday. And then we've got connect groups that are looking at the same uh, passages. And thank you to Janelle who preached. She's away. There she is. Preached brilliantly last week at the first over the first part of uh, chapter 4. And so today we're going to look at the last... Um, set of about 12, 13 verses of chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, I'm going to read from verse 10 right through to the end. And then we'll unpack three main points that spring off this passage. Paul says, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then travelled on from Macedonia. Philippi was part of the province of Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I'm generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. Good name, parents, if you're thinking of a name for your kid next. I haven't heard many of those around, so you just, you know, step out and be bold. Uh, they are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will also supply all your needs from His glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now all glory to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. Paul's final greetings. Your Bible might have that little passage, a little headline there. Last couple of verses. Give my greetings to each of God's holy people. All who belong to Christ Jesus, the brothers who are with me, send you their greetings. And all the rest of God's people send you greetings, especially those in Caesar's household. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. And so, wow, as I said, three main points I want to draw from this passage. Uh, and what a powerful, punchy passage it is. The first one is this issue of contentment. The second one, we'll talk about partnership in God's work. And the third one's about God's provision and prosperity. So first of all, go back to verse 11. 
And read there again with me to verse 13. And Paul says, look, it's not that I was in need. I've learned how to be content. Let me hear you say content. What a word. What a powerful word. Don't we, wouldn't you like to know how to be content? There's a lot of discontent in the world. And uh, ah, just living with peace. People talk about chilling out, you know, but you don't need to necessarily do anything or be anywhere or make something happen to chill out or be content. He's learned a secret of just being content. And he says, look, with whatever I have or don't have, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, whether it's Plenty or little, for I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So Paul's learned how to be content in all situations. And as I said, wouldn't we love to learn that? What a great lesson to learn. And um, traditional translation, I know how to abound and how to be abased. And sometimes isn't life like that? Yay, I'm abounding. Oh, I'm abased. You know, and sometimes we're up and down in our circumstances and our emotions that go with them. There's times of abundance, yay, well, and other times, oh God, what is going on? And Paul, of course, had this as well. Um, And notice he says it's a secret. One translation from the Greek of that word says, uh, it is to be initiated into the mysteries of something. So there's a mystery involved in this. Uh, It's not easily discovered or learned. It's, you know, we don't automatically or simply just find ourselves feeling content all the time, do we? Um, It's a secret because, sadly, some people you can see evidence of never discovering that secret. Even when you've got people who have got everything the world has to offer. Look at the lives of, you know, the rich and famous, the celebrities, and people envy them, and yet so often their lives are racked with, uh, you know, substance abuse and, and relationship difficulties and mental health challenges and they've got everything they you know they've got money to burn and they're famous and the world loves them and just goes to show that this contentment is not dependent on circumstances you can have all favorable circumstances around you and still be far from content and conversely you can have all hell breaking loose around you and yet somehow be content because Paul had experienced the ups and the downs. He had, boy, lived life large, hadn't he? There's a lot going on in Paul's life because sometimes he was celebrated. He was loved and appreciated by people. So that's nice. And yet sometimes even in the same city where people were loving him and appreciating him, there were people that were turning against him, beating him and kicking him out of town. And so it's all going on. Uh, And yet he had learned learned about contentment. And of course, that's evident through the whole of the New Testament. All his letters, this secret that he's discovered is evidenced by his reflection on his relationship with the Lord Jesus. That's the baseline. That's what he grew in. That's what he needed. That's what he had learned. <sighs> you know, and in living in this book, as we've already seen, Scripture's like, I don't care about everything. I'm leaving it all. I'm pressing on. I just want to know him. I just want to know the Lord Jesus because I know when I know him, when I'm walking with him, it's going to work out. I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to be in contentment while I'm going through crazy stuff here on earth. And so we have that opportunity to discover 
that same kind of relationship, a deep relationship. That's why we, we, we create spaces like tonight. We'll go deeper and, and have experiences, you know, corporately. But of course, personally, it's up to us, our choice, our free will, our decision as to how we go deeper in God. You know, I know Al is walking 8Ks every morning. I saw him this morning. I, I didn't recognise you. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I thought, who's that skinny guy? Seriously, I thought, who's that guy? Is it Al? No, it's too skinny. But it's Al looking fit and fabulous. And, he's little, and he walks and he listens for 20 minutes every morning to Nicky Gumbel's uh, podcast uh, de- devotional thing and prays and walks, you know, around the neighbourhood, gets fit at the same time. I'd like to do that, except I've got two buffhead dogs tugging and pulling. I go, Am I, I'm looking after Hudson's dog for a few weeks. Yeah, that started about two years ago. Yeah, anyway. Um, so, uh, um, anyway, so, so we've all got that opportunity to press in to know the Lord. The other thing you need to really develop contentment um, is problems, because that's when you really press in and who knows our prayer life increases when there are challenges. And Paul certainly had that. And so again, isn't that awesome? We've got those two things going on in our life. Uh, opportunity for relationship with the Lord. Problems that come. And let's face it, our problems are probably not going to be as big and as dramatic as Paul's. But they don't need to be. Because how funny are we that you, you only need the slightest thing to upset your level of contentment <laughs> and therefore the need to press in to God and discover what he's really got to offer <sighs> to bring you peace, stability, calm. Because like there's so many situations where it's not that terrible and yet you can easily just lose the plot. All things, you know, just seem to fall apart and go a bit crazy. For example, airports. Like I arrived at the airport recently and there's this massive line of people waiting for all the flights, got to put masks on, thought we're finished with that, oh no, not at airports, and you could just sense the tension in the air. You know, as soon as you walk in, there's, there's stress, there's lines and people, you know, just you could feel like, oh, am I going to make my flight and what about all the, you know, regulations now, have I got my certificate of thing then is it going to be accepted and I've got to scan that and you've got old people like over 20 who are struggling with you know the app it's all and then there's these stupid kiosks and you want to see a human and it's like all right I'll try and do the kiosk you know and then you go through all the thing and then it doesn't accept you end up having to find someone and then before I'd even started any of that when I first walked in I saw this young woman looking really stressed. I thought, oh, poor thing. You know, she's probably running late for a flight. She ran up. There was a, 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 an airline employee near me and she ran up to them and said, excuse me. I thought, oh, what's the... She said, excuse me, do you know where I can find a coffee before I line up? <laughs> so so she, she just needed, she needed coffee. You know, <laughs> so, so she was discontent. I was hoping that, you know, once she gets caffeinated, she might have just got all right, got through. And then, uh, and then our flight got delayed. And I overheard a businessman, so his level of stress was rising while his level of contentment was <laughs> decreasing uh, because he was stressed about some meeting and he's saying, well, I'm not gonna, I don't know when I'm going to be there and can you tell him this and that? And uh, I thought, oh, poor guy, you know. And then I sat down uh, next to a couple who made a phone call. I wasn't deliberately eavesdropping, but they were loud and right next to me. Um, and, 
And they were worried about their elderly parents, who they were talking to on the phone, and the elderly parents worried about them. So she's saying, yes, mum, no, mum, we're not going to fall out of the sky. Yes, mum, it's okay, it's okay, we'll be fine. Yeah, it's all good. But she's worried about it. His dad had his meds and da 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 And so I thought, oh, meanwhile, I'm, I'm okay. I'm travelling on my own. I'm not gloating, but I'm just enjoying, you know, I'm just enjoying that moment of, ah, oh, that's not me, that's not me. I'm okay, it's all good. You know, I'm, all I've got to do is look after myself. I've got my seat on the plane. I'm, you know, it's, it's all good. And... Um, but my time was to come, wasn't it? You know, like I, we all we all get a turn, and uh, and so I um, I get to Los Angeles, and I've got to get this connecting flight to Albuquerque, and and I've got a small window uh, of time between the two flights. But I figure, well, the airlines have got it sorted. You know, they they wouldn't book you on the flight. Either. But Los Angeles airports, you know, got all the security stuff going on. They're like. You know, they, I mean, America's been on edge, you know, for homeland security for years. I, I, was in, I was in Los Angeles Airport only a few months after 9-11, in February 2002. So 9-11 was September 2001. And I had that nice young man but was talking about, you know how Hudson was talking about when he was a bit of a rat bag in high school? I had him with me. And his young smart Alex sister, I had like a nine and an eleven year old mucking up at the airport, and there's guns and security, and they're like, yeah, 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 and I'm like, guys, guys, come on, just anyway. So at least this time I was on my own, but the security's a big deal, and that's all fine. But you've got to check your bags, go immigration, customs, and this business, and all that, and and then and I had to get my bags checked, and then go and get them checked in again, and I'm like. Okay, how's the time going to go with all this? And there's lines everywhere. So I'm starting to get a little tetchy. And then they go, oh, yeah, leave this terminal, go to another terminal. Well, for a lot of airports, that's all internal. Or you get a little train, it takes you to another terminal. For LAX, you leave the airport, you leave the terminal. It's really disconcerting. You get your bags, you go, right, terminal two. And you go, you're on the street. I'm like, I'm out in the street. And I, I, I literally walk back into the terminal, looked at the signs, I thought, I've really got to go out this way. And I'm like, okay. So then you're walking down the road to the next terminal. And I'm thinking, if I've got this wrong, I am really going to miss this flight. You know, I'm like, I'm, I think I got it right, but it feels weird because I'm just, imagine just walking down the streets a mascot thinking I'm trying to get my connecting flight. It's, anyway, so it's right. You do get to the other terminal. And then, of course, it's all security checks again. And there's lines. And I'm like, oh, I am running out of time. So, of course, I think there's got to be a better way. Because, you know, why join the line when you think that there's got to be a faster way? So I make the mistake of trying to ask someone, you know, in uniform, armed to the hilt, you know, of course, as they are. I think the cleaners are even carrying, you know, it's all like just, you know, that's America. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and so I go to this person and say, excuse me, I'm, I'm pushing for time to, you know, back. I just get cut off with a firm... Just get back in line, sir. You know, like, okay, okay. So then I find, so, you know, after some time, I remember that I'm a Christian and I pray. <laughs> that helps, doesn't it? You know, and um, is it Psalm 31? I think it's Psalm 31, 15. My, my times are in his hands. And so I just thought, all right, I will decide to be content. Lord, my time's in your hands. I meditate on that scripture and I just take that little moment, only takes a moment just to press into the presence of God. You do it anywhere, even in a line of, 
you know, sweaty, stressed people trying to get to a connected vibe. I just thought, all right, look, my time's in here. If you don't, if for some reason you want me to minister to the homeless of LA because I'll be stuck on the streets <laughs> and never get to Albuquerque, then so. But anyway, I got my flight, you know, but, uh, you know, running down the tarmac, leaping onto the, no, I'm exaggerating, but uh, it, it, it was fine. But, you know, I just had to have that little moment to make that decision Ah, and we've all got these opportunities where something will just trigger discontentment and stress and anxiety or angry, you know, I mean, just get on the road, you know, if, if, or maybe you're a really chilled person, Byron's done well, he's just learned, he's just, he's told me about, you know, how he deals with road rage, he's just, he's just smiling and having a chuckle and letting people have their way, you know, it's a challenge though, if you're Type A kind of person. And then we've all had those moments where you think, no, no, I'm going in the left lane. I'm going to get past that guy. Yeah, great. And then you pull up at the lights and there they are. And you were there eight seconds in front of them, that whole drive down the freeway. And then you think, that was not worth it, was it? So whatever it is, come on. We just got to learn and we can learn. And Paul had learned this secret. It's not a secret necessarily for everyone. It can be discovered. It's a mystery, but you can find it and you can learn it. And it's, ah, it, it's possible there for us just to turn to the Lord, turn to his word and press into his presence. And it helps when you know the word of God. There's a promise for every situation you face in life, whether it's a, a stressful situation, a sickness situation, a personal situation, a work deal, whatever it is, you'll find a promise in God's word that can help you have contentment in your life. And it's wonderful, it's powerful, because we're called to be presence carriers, kingdom people, light shiners of the gospel. So it's not just good for our well-being, it's a witness for the Lord, you know, because people hopefully are seeing in your life a deeper level of contentment in times of crisis. When all hell's breaking loose and everyone else is stressed, hopefully they're seeing in you Huh, a sense of peace and calm and that they will be questioning Heck, with all that's going on at work and we're all worried about whether we've still got a job or with the economy and you don't seem stressed or why is it, what's the deal? Huh, and hopefully we can testify that yes, it's not me, it's the Lord, I'm not perfect, I, I've made mistakes too, but I, you know, I even, I, yes, I have worries as well, but I've got somewhere I can take them. I've got someone who can look after me and someone who deposits that Ah, contentment into my heart, yeah? So let's aim for that, eh? Because it's all that we see in people like the life of Paul are there as a pattern. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. It's not like, oh, I'm the great apostle Paul. I'm telling you a few stories. You could never do anything like me because I'm amazing. So forget, even the Lord Jesus, you know, he said, I'm the light of the world. And then he says, oh, you're the light of the world too. Christian means little Christ, so we are called to be like Christ for our growth in him, to become more like him, and again, for our witness to the world. So, uh, so contentment, there it is. And then the second part of this passage talks about partnership in God's work. Because look at verse 15 and 16. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then travelled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. Wow, those other churches, they'd be kicking themselves now, wouldn't they? 
Like, you know, I think it's Pastor Phil Pringle that said, uh, you know, I will participate in any offering that is ever going on anywhere to do with God's house and God's work. Don't miss the opportunity. You don't know what you're partnering in with, you know, and maybe it's just 20 bucks, you know, if, if there's a visiting minister or a missions thing. I mean, of course you can't say no to, I mean, you can't say yes to every single thing that if you ever give, if you notice if you ever give once to any charity, you just get letters forever, you know, it's like, okay, so, you know, maybe that was a one off and you tell them, but okay. But, you know, generally you wouldn't want to be the people who didn't give uh, because these guys are getting commended and look who they were partnering with. People didn't know, maybe, at the time. So, oh, there's this guy travelling around, his name's Paul. Oh, is that that guy that was a Pharisee? Yeah, okay. Is he a good preacher? Oh, I haven't heard. I don't know. He's a, you know is he going to do anything good for God? I don't know. It's the early days. We'll see, you know. <laughs> well, turned out that it was a pretty good soil to sow into. Um, and so he was supported financially, and he made, of telling, he made a point of telling these Philippians not only how much he appreciated, but why it was good for them. He's saying, look, you're not just paying the bills, you're partnering in God's work. He actually starts the letter with this right back in verse 4 and 5 of chapter 1. Have we got that up there? Thank you, Anasu. Look, this is early in the, in the letter. Introductory comments. Whenever I pray, I make my request for you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. So isn't that awesome that he, he was aware, oh, you guys have given financially and it's not just paying the bills. There's some spiritual connection going on. There's, the koinonia is the word he uses. This fellowship that he's got with people who aren't necessarily going, aren't definitely going with Paul to all the places he goes, but their financial commitment to support him, makes them partners in God's work. And this is true today where, you know, um, when we give to the local church, to other ministries, to missions work that goes way beyond where we would ever go. And, and, uh, and, and yet we are engaged with God's work. We're putting wheels on the gospel that's going out to different directions. And of course, as a church, you know, we give to uh, the Gideon's Bible Ministries, we give to uh, Christians Against Poverty, we give to local scripture, uh, needs and supplies and resources, we give overseas to the Agape Church movement uh, around Vietnam, Pastor Vin who we've worked with, and and other projects and things that come up um, as they arise. But of course individually many of us give to different organisations as well, and charities and uh, compassion, perhaps, who are reaching people who you'll never meet, but you'll be blessed. And, and, and so we're, this is partnership. I'm convinced that when you get to heaven, there's going to be some cool meetings. I nearly said reunions, but it's not a reunion because you've never met them in the first place. But someone will come up to you, Byron, and say, ah, Senor Byron, I'm Jose. And you'll say, hi, you know, well, you gave money to the missions that we had in Mexico and I heard it was on your heart and once you got married, you couldn't keep going there forever because you had kids, you know, that stopped you. When Byron was young, he would just, when I first met Byron, he was basically working, working part-time and time just to save enough money to go back to Mexico. That was, his, that was his thing. And then he met a beautiful woman 
and had to get on with his life and get grounded and married and pay bills and have children who cost so much, you should be very appreciative of how, million dollars, Mia, that's what they say, cost a million bucks to raise a kid, probably one and a half for you, so needy. No, I'm joking. No, no, probably only nine fifty for you. You're a bit cheaper, discounted. Um, but um, just stirring it, Mia can handle it, I hope. Um, and uh, she's fine. She's half Russian. Of course she can handle it. She's tough, yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm sure, yeah, someone will come up to Byron and say, you know, you gave to my ministry and, uh, and, and come and, and meet, you know, Pedro and Manuel and my friends because they all got saved through my ministry. Uh, you know, that you gave to people you'd never met. And compassion kids. Who's met their compassion kids? I mean, I've met one of several that we've had because they just happened to be in Thailand and we could go there easily. But we've had others in other countries that we'll never meet, but I'm sure there'll be kids that come up to you, probably adults, 27, isn't that the perfect age? I don't know, whatever age we are going to be in heaven, you know. Uh, and, uh, and they'll say, fantastic, great God bless you. I got, you know, sponsored to go uh, and get educated. And as you may know, all the compassion uh, projects are run by churches. So it's there that I heard the gospel and got born again. And, uh, and you'd never met him until then. So, you know, these are just examples, I think, of wonderful partnership, which, look, the fact is, you've got three basic needs in your life. Shelter, and let's hope you've got a roof over your head. And food, right? And I think most Aussies are able to scratch that together. You need security, which, you know, is just the freedom of, of living safely. And we get that by having a great country. You pay taxes and you've got a police force that, you know, are not corrupt who you can trust and you've got, you know, reasonably good government and systems and all that kind of stuff. So we've got those two under control. If you just work, save, pay your taxes, you know, you're going to get shelter and security. But the third great need that we all have is for significance, for having meaning in life, for that sense of accomplishment from having done something with your life, of being part of something that's bigger than just getting your basic needs met. And the only way you'll ever get significance is by giving. You don't get it by just taking. You can work hard and keep your money for you, but that'll never, that'll never build a sense of meaning and purpose and significance in your life. But when you start giving, ah, then you're making some significant contribution to the world. And that giving can be, uh, you know, your, your, your time, your talent, your, your, your treasure. It can be your, your, your energy, your life, your giving to, you know, with the church working bee or helping out your neighbour or f- loving that, unlovable family member or friend that's a bit difficult or and then of course our resources in in financial terms and material terms and we we can make a difference when we when we go and sow into soil that produces a good harvest and we do that when we give to God's church and his work and uh and of course that's you know for example this uh, facility and our building fund offering next week, just one of you know many examples where we have opportunities to give financially and that's partnership, which leads to the third thing that you see in this passage, which talks about provision and godly prosperity. Because look at verse 17, he says, I don't say all this because I want another gift from you. He's saying, don't hear me 
wrong. I'm not saying, oh, you gave, you gave so much before, hint, hint, you know, keep it coming. He's like, I'm trusting in God. I don't, I don't, I'm not leaning on you. I'm saying good for you for giving because he knows what happens when people give to God's work. He's aware of the principles of sowing and reaping. He says, rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. And then it goes on, verse 18. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I'm generously supplied with the gifts you sent me through Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. So he's letting him know this is not just paying the bills. There's something going on here that's holy and spiritual and powerful. It's before God. Wow, it's, it's an offering to God. He uses that that phrase, sweet-smelling sacrifice, which Jewish people would really relate to from having Old Testament connections about uh, incense offerings. And they would say, this is an offering. And our praise and our worship represents that more in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, they would have an incense and would say, this is a smell unto God. It was like a physical representation of their, of their life. Oh God, we love you. We praise you. We, we burn this incense and send it, hope that you, you smell it in a sense. And well, that's what he's saying our offerings are like when they're given in the right way. Isn't that amazing? When we praise God, we worship, we get this heart connection. He's saying, yeah, well, part of that is actually putting some money where your mouth is. And he's saying, um, look, look, he goes on. Um, Verse 19, we've heard this before. This same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. And so that's a passage, a verse a lot of people know, Philippians 4.19. My God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. That's great. But notice that was, it was promised to people who had given to Paul and God's work. So the, the promise is dependent on the the people positioning themselves correctly to receive God's blessing and, and God's promise. And uh, so Paul was very aware of God's supernatural economic principles that come into play when we give to his work. And they are beyond normal economic situations. It doesn't matter what interest rates are doing, what talk of recession or inflation, you know, there's... We've got crazy weird economies going on. You know, in Europe, in some countries, they've got negative inflation. You've got to pay the banks to give your money, to deposit them. Mine, I don't know how it works and why you wouldn't hide it under your mattress. But, you know, but they, you know, and so we've had very low interest rates. And then we've had times of very high interest rates. And there's times of recession. And there's times of, I tell you what, I've followed the Lord for a long time and Ruth and I have been through plenty of different economic ups and downs, both in this country and living in Russia, where the whole we had inflation going at like 2,000%. It was berserk. You're scratching around to find a loaf of bread, you know. Well, David says, I was young and now I'm old, and yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor their children begging bread. Psalm 30, can't remember exactly. It's, it's in there. Read. Go home, read all 150 Psalms this afternoon before lunch and you'll find the verse. It's Psalm 30. Um, and, uh, and, and I guess I'll be 60 next year, so I, I guess that categorises me for some people to think of me as old. So like David, I could say, I was young, now I'm old, and yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken and his children bringing bread. And it's absolutely true. 
I mean, my kids will get up here sometimes and say, oh, it's so hard. When we were kids, you know, Dad made us share a Coke at the restaurant, you know. So, yeah, well, you didn't beg for bread. Wasn't that bad, you know? We made a, Ruth and I made a covenant when we got married. We were on a pretty modest income. I mean, it's pretty funny when I told her father how much I was earning. I said, I want to marry your daughter. Oh, okay, you're going to Bible college. Yep. Okay, and, how, and I told him how much money we were going to be earning. And I thought he'd be impressed and he was horrified. And he just thought, okay, well, you know, because that was... In his mind, not a lot of money, and I thought it was fine, you know. But and so, but we we said early on in our marriage, he said, "We'll say, we'll never say we can't afford it. If it's God's will, it's God's bill." Philippians four nineteen, my God will supply all our needs according to His riches and glory. Of course, we said other things like we're in savings mode at the moment, you know. It's not a financial priority right now. You can call that semantics, but words are powerful. But we thought we'll never say, I can't afford it. We can't afford it. We're poor. We're skint. It's terrible. Ah. No, we're not going to say that. And we had modest income, have had most of our um, lives, and yet God has provided, you know. And we were just sometimes in savings mode, like wanting to build a house where all our kids could have their own bedroom. Or take the kids to Hamilton Island. That was a great desire of mine. I'd gone there as a single young man. It took me six years to save to get the family to Hamilton Island. And we got there. Slept at the airport, you know, a little hut down next to the by there. And we had good, yeah, we swam across from the mainland. Got a little, got Clark rubber. They got these great little rafts. It's good exercise. Come on, kids, you can do it. Yeah, right. And, no, no, we made it. And, uh, you know, and you've probably got your stories of godly provision beyond necessarily having to have a, you don't need a great big income, you just need a great big God who's generous and you're faithful to him, to his house, to his work. You tithe, you give, you watch what happens. It's the only time in the Bible that God invites us to test him with the tithe in Malachi. He says, test me. And see, if you do this, I will open up the windows of heaven, see what happens. And I would say, absolutely, that has happened in my life and many others. I've seen in other countries people on even more modest financial in situations. In Thailand, friends in you know, Russia and Vietnam, and God supplied our needs according to his glorious riches. So he will for you, I guarantee it. Praise the Lord. So there we have it. Paul commending these people, saying... Come on, guys, I've discovered the secret of being content. You can too. Thank you for partnering in the work of God and also get a hold of that wonderful promise of provision and prosperity that God will bring as a result. Let's take a hold of that. Amen? Come on, let's pray. Hallelujah. Wonderful, Father God. Oh, wow. We love you. We thank you. You are Jehovah Jireh. You provide for us. You provide Oh, the peace of God that passes all understanding that Paul wrote to the Philippians about so we can be content in every situation. And Lord, we thank you that we can, wow, be partners with what you're doing. That's exciting. And we thank you as a result of that, that you meet all our needs, that you're going to bless us so that we can be a blessing. We have, a, we have prosperity with purpose. Wonderful. Thank you. God, we, 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 we want to step into that by faith and by practice with what we do, with our resources in life and with our heartfelt commitment to you, Lord Jesus.
touch every heart here today. And you know, before we finish today, I want to encourage you. If you're here today and you're not walking with the Lord, you can get that sorted with just one simple prayer. If you've never given your life to Christ, you've never surrendered your life to God, then you want to do that. That's, that's what it is to become a Christian, a life of surrender and commitment and devotion to God, accepting the love and sacrifice that the Lord Jesus brought, dying on the cross in your place for your sins. Maybe you've walked with Him, but right now you, you, you've walked away and you want to come back. You want to recommit your life to Him or for the first time, I want to encourage you to pray. Very simple prayer of commitment. Just ask Him to come in, forgive you for sin, help you to live with Him and for Him and He will touch your life, fill you with the Holy Spirit. If you pray a prayer like that, come and talk to me or someone that you know or someone who's brought you here or if you're watching online, send us an email. We'll be in touch and help you to follow up. That's very important that we are engaged in God's will receiving His love and forgiveness and following Him throughout our lives. Thank You, Lord, touching every life. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.